I want you to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to get right into our word. Again, thank you for your faithfulness and tithing and offering. That's what helps us do all that we do. And God bless you for that. And I know in heaven there'll be people that we've never met. And they'll say, because you were faithful in giving to the Lord, I'm here. We want to continue on with our series this morning on family values. Uh, I started this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're talking about family values. And this morning, uh, I'm going to be preaching a message entitled, Love and Marriage. Now, I was going to do a real funny skit with that, but uh, time would not allow. But one of the reasons I started this series is, as you heard me talk about it many times, we've started a new ministry. I think there's going to be a key that's going to do something incredible. And I do want to say, before I really get wound up this morning, Brother LaFon, so good to see you this morning. So good to see Brother LaFon. Longtime part of Bethel family, uh, missionary. Uh, how you doing, brother? Amen. 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 Words of wisdom right there. Words of wisdom. We, we cert certainly do love Brother LaFon and just what a legacy. What a legacy. Ladies, thank you all for being here with him. I started this series a few, few weeks back uh, primarily because we started a ministry called family, uh, FAM. It's called the FAM. And it stands for Family and Marriage Ministry. And what it does, uh, as this thing is it's in its embry embryonic stages, so it's developing and growing, very fluid, is we want to come alongside people who are struggling today in their families and in their marriages. Again, I've said this every, every message in this series. If you don't understand, we live in a world that has made an open assault against the family uh, and against marriage. And, uh, and, and I really, that ministry is designed to help people with positive peer, uh, I don't want to say peer pressure, that's not the right word, but peer support in walking through challenging times. How many how many's ever had a challenging time in your marriage? How many this morning? Don't raise your hand. Don't do that. That, that wouldn't be good for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm just going to jump right in because I got a lot of information this morning. What I want to do is I want to read the scripture and uh, beginning verse number 18, Genesis chapter 2, verse, verse 18. And, and I want you to notice right off the bat, it says, and the Lord God said, okay, so, so this is not the opinions of Mike Mizell and it's not, it's not what Moses thought to write. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Everybody say not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to, the, names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, notice this, but for Adam, notice what it says here. There was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. One thing I want you to remember right off the bat is that the family unit was not, is not the idea of man, okay? Man didn't sit around somewhere and concoct this thing we call marriage. Uh, it is a divine, intentional, creative, creative act of God. That's where we get marriage. Among the many reasons that, that, that God established the family unit as he did, number one, Malachi says he established the family to produce godly offspring and to fill the earth with image bearers. That, that is one of the reasons why God created this thing we call family. Now, last week was very important. If you were not here last week, you need to go watch the video because it was a very, very important message. In fact, uh, the altar call was powerful. Uh, last week, we looked at what happens from faith from one generation to the other. 
And I want to remind you that faith will decline from one generation to the other if you do not act upon it. Remember, the Bible says, faith without works is dead. So unless I do something with the faith that's within, then faith will naturally decline. And I use for an example, Joshua. Joshua, again, first generation believer, says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But then the Bible says those who came after him, which would have been his children, knew of God. Didn't know God, uh, they just knew what dad Joshua said, knew of God. And then we find that their children, which was Joshua's grandchildren, the Bible says in Judges 2 and 10, did not know the Lord nor anything that he had done. So in three generations, we go from a faithful, on fire man of God to a generation that does not know God or anything about it. That's how the natural inclination of faith is. It declines from one generation to the other. What does that mean? It means that we as parents have a huge responsibility to raise our children to fall in love with Jesus. When my children were small, you've heard me say this many, many times, I, one of the things that really stuck with me is that as a father, I had, the, I, had, I had 18 years for my children to fall in love with Jesus. That was the most important thing to me out of everything else. So, listen, there's a lot of responsibility on being a parent, okay? It's important who they marry. It's important you know, their careers, what college they go to, or what career field they get into. All those things are important. I'm not saying it's not. But the single most important thing as parents is we need to pass on a love relationship with Him. Amen. We've got to have our children falling in love with Jesus. If that relationship is not important to us, listen to me, our children will abandon it altogether. If he is not Lord of our lives and it is evident in how we live, then our children will be marginalized at best and abandon it at worst. Now, for there to be a strong family, listen to me this morning, there has to first be a strong marriage. Now, I know I'm preaching this morning to a group of people. There are people here that are not married. There are people here that have gone through some horrible marriage situations, divorces, things like that. I'm not here to pick on anybody. I want to give you God's plan. Listen, if we're going to talk about building a, a family unit, we got, and we want one that will survive, we need to go back to where the designer designed it. If I'm going to remodel my house, I need to get the blueprints to see how it was built. I want to find what's in it before I just start hacking away at it. So that's kind of the idea here. Um, I'm going to admit to you this morning, most people have no idea what they're getting into when they get married. Isn't that the truth? Most people have no idea what they're getting into when they get married. Some people, descri someone described, I love this description. Somebody described marriage like this. They said marriage is like a deck of cards. When you get married, you have two hearts and a diamond. A few years later, you have two clubs and you wish you had a spade. <laughs> There's probably a little, bit of, a little bit of truth to that. I'll I, I have to tell you, I met, I met Sheila in February of 86. And uh, I don't have time to give you that whole story, but it really would be a Hallmark movie. Because we're at church, and we're in the parking lot. I didn't know her. I met her in February of 86. So, so I'm, I'm sitting here. She's on my right-hand side. I'm on her left in the parking lot. She parked next to me. I turn this way to back up. She turns this way, and our eyes cross, and I thought, ooh, who is that? You know, I'm like, wow. And so I start investigating. First question, I was like, is she single? <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time. She's married. Guys, I would recommend the same thing. If they're married, leave them alone. Hey, you would, I'm, I'm being serious. Nowadays, it just doesn't matter, it seems like. But I'm being serious. <laughs> is she single? She was single. I started investigating a little more. I met her for the first time uh, in February. We went on a first date. In March of 86. We got engaged in April of 86. And then we got married in September of 86. Yeah, that's what I said. No, I just get. <laughs> she, kept, she kept like moving the date up, and I was like, sweetheart, we gotta, we gotta slow it down a little bit. <laughs> we, got, we got married in September of 86. Now, here's the thing we were both told that it was too quick. We were both told that because we were so young and it was so fast that we would not make it. In September, if the Lord tarries, we will have been married 37 years. Amen. 
What, and, and, and I'll just be honest with you, truthfully, we had no idea what we were getting into. <laughs> and it was probably a good thing, okay? Probably a good thing. We had to learn about marriage on the fly. I mean, we had to do it the hard way. What school did you go to? I went to the school of hard knocks. You know, whoever came up with cast iron skillets, man, I'm telling you what. Hard, hard knots. Got it? No, I'm just kidding. You know, we, we, basically most people, when they get married, they bring into the marriage what they have seen modeled for them. Sometimes that's good, sometimes not so good. And so we had no idea how to be married, but we learned. And as wonderful as marriage is, I want to tell you that no amount of premarital counseling can fully prepare you for what you're about to experience. Amen? Amen? Am I right? I mean, you, this person that you've, you've singled out that you want to spend the rest of your life with, that you think nothing could be wrong, everything's perfect, you get married, you find out they put the toilet paper on the wrong side. Right? It doesn't go behind, it goes over. I'm preaching good stuff now. <laughs> and, and, and then you find out that they squeeze the toothpaste from the middle and not the end. Who would have thought of something like that? I mean, again, all those things that we just kind of overlook. I mean, because they're the apple of our eye. They're the ones we want to be with the rest of our life. And and surely they're perfect in all their ways. And you get married and you find out they're not. I'm not going to leave it at that. You know, it's a sad reality today that many people who get married, they go into a relationship today and they do not believe it's possible to have a lifelong marriage. They don't believe it's possible. They've seen so much divorce that it seems normal to them. And, and they are, in a, in a sense, they're right. You know, divorce happens. It happens in the church. It happens in the world. Husbands and wives don't always keep their vows. Sometimes they walk out. Sometimes they drift apart. But, but I want you to hear me this morning. God had a different plan than that. I want you to understand, we, we, we've trivialized marriage in the 21st century to the point where it doesn't really matter. Oh, I'll go marry this one, and if she doesn't work out or he doesn't work out, then you know what, in a few years we'll divorce, and I'll go marry this one, and then I'll go marry this one, and it's, and it's happening. But God had a different idea. He had a different plan. And like I said, you know, if, 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 to build on a solid foundation, we need to go back to the architect and find out what does the Lord say about it? What does God say about marriage? I submit to you that if we were more attentive to the instructions of the designer, then we would find marriage works a whole lot better than what it does right now. A seven-year-old girl saw the movie Cinderella. was talking to her friend about it. Her friend said, oh, I know how it ends. They live, Cinderella and the prince live happily ever after. The little girl said, oh, no, they don't. They get married. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? Marriage is a challenge even in the best of circumstances. But you know what? Hear me. It can also be a, a great blessing. It can be a great blessing. With so many marriages in trouble, healthy marriages, and I want you to hear, this is one of the reasons that I wanted to see FAM up and running because healthy marriages now become a witness. Hear me. It becomes a witness about Jesus and his wonderful plan for our lives. When you get something that is abnormal in today's norm, it becomes an interesting thing. When people look at us as Christians and we see that we have a marriage that has been built on the solid rock of Christ and that we build our homes on the teachings of Christ, they look at that and they're like, tell me about this. I don't understand this. It becomes a witnessing tool, a powerful witnessing tool. Again, uh, I realize that not everyone is married here. Uh, and again, I'm not here to pick on anybody. I, just, I think everybody needs to hear what God says about marriage. So let's start right there. First of all, let's look at the problem. Right off the bat, in verse number 18, it gives us the problem. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Everybody say, not good again. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. And then he says, I will make him a suitable helper or one comparable to him. Now, our text this morning, let me just tell you, it takes place in the Garden of Eden, okay? We, all, we understand that. And it's before the fall. So, so you and I, we have no reference point because we've never experienced a world like this. Eden was perfect. It was the utopia that we dream of, it, something that we can't even fathom in our brain, but it was a perfect place. It's described, again, our text describes a world that none of us have grown up, a world without sin. We live in a world marred by sin, 
It was a world created to perfection and there was no hint of moral contamination in it. Verse 18, God speaks and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now that verse tells us two things right off the bat. Number one, it first of all says God is moving to meet the problem of, Abra of a Abraham. Adam's loneliness. The first thing it tells us is that God created this perfect place and in this perfect place, there is Adam who is lacking something. So verse 18 says, God says, I will make him a suitable helper. God is moving to supply what is empty in Adam. Uh, he was, again, even in paradise, Adam was the crown of God's creation. Um, and yet something was lacking. And so what does that mean? It means the perfection of Eden could not satisfy the void that was within. The perfection of Eden could not satisfy the void that was within. In all of creation, think about this. In all of creation, there was only one thing not good. Only one thing not good, and it was not good for Adam to be alone. That's it. Second thing about this verse is that God's answer to Adam's loneliness was to create Eve. So what does that mean? Well, it means Eve was the answer. Adam was lonely. He was in creation. He was in a perfect place. All that was around him was perfect, not a hint of sin and contamination. And yet there was one thing lacking in him. Eve became the answer to his loneliness. I want you to hear me. The answer was not another man. And again, I'm not jumping on a political thing here, but you understand what I'm talking about. The reason that we are confused today is because we have drifted away from the solid teachings of Christ. The answer to his loneliness was not another dude. And I'll take it even further. Please understand, no man was ever, was ever meant to find his deepest satisfaction in his hunting buddies or his golf buddies or the guys at work. That's not God's plan. The answer to the loneliness that every man feels is in that one woman given by God with whom we can spend the rest of our lives. That is the most basic purpose of marriage is to fill the emptiness inside of the man. When God said he would create a helper, here's what men think, <laughs> okay? When he said, I'm going to create him a helper suitable for him, men here, I'm going to, God's going to give me someone who will do the housework, who will... What else? Uh, take care of the kids, cook the meals, clean up after the meal. That's what guys hear, right? Yeah, you're, you're, you're good. You're not answering. <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> Smart move. But that, that's what guys hear. Oh, my helper. She's going to take care of all these things. That's not what the Hebrew word is. The Hebrew word that is used here for helper is refer elsewhere is used for God. Okay, watch this. What it means is one who supplies what is lacking in another person. God said, I'm going to create for him what's missing inside, and he gave Eve. So, so Sheila and I, okay, when we got married, if you didn't know this, we were, we were polar opposites. We're, we're polar opposites. She's loud and got to be out front of everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you, you know better, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, back when she was well and, 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 and could walk and all that, Sheila's always been behind the scenes. I was telling the early service, it's always been interesting down through the years, uh, there would be people that would come to church here and they would catch me and they said, hey, pastor, because my wife's not up front. She, she sings, she used to sing really wonderful, beautiful voice, but she didn't have to be up front. She didn't want to be in charge of anything and she didn't have to, you know, she was just her. And the church had always allowed her to be her. And they would come up and say, well, pastor, which one is your wife? And I'd say, that one over there. And a lot of times they would say, ah, oh, I wouldn't have put her with you. I never asked who they put me with. I didn't want to know. <laughs> but we're different. I mean, I marry a lady from Louisiana, the only Cajun I know that doesn't like seafood. <laughs> What's wrong with that? That's something, there's something wrong with that, right? But we, we get married. But here's what I found. Listen, and we've had some, we've had some struggles. 
in 36 years of marriage. But here's what I learned. Her strength, up until she got sick, obviously, her strength is my weakness. And my strength was her weakness. So God took two weak things in areas, brought us together. And you see, what we do in our culture today is we use differences to be divisive. And you can play that out. I mean, you can talk about racial division. You can talk about socioeconomic division. All of those things are different, and we divide people based on those differences. That's not what God intended. Listen, I, my dream, before I die, before you know, God comes back, whatever, I want to look out here and see red and yellow, black and white, worshiping together in this body. Because we, amen, I believe that. That's a good place to do that. But we use differences to divide people. Even in marriage, we divide when God wanted to be complimentary. He said, I'll make a helper for him who will supply what he is lacking. So he brought Eve. Now, here's the thing. You would think that the next verse would read, so God created Eve. When he said, I'll make for him a suitable helper, you would think the next verse would read, so God created Eve. That's not what it says. Watch this. There's, a, there's something interesting here. Instead of saying God made Eve, what does he do? Adam names the animals. What's up with that? I mean, right in the middle of God bring, you know, creating Eve, you know, say, God saying, I'm going to give you a helper suitable for you, he names the animals. What does that have to do with marriage? Hear me, God's preparing him for marriage. What he's doing is he's teaching Adam how to be a leader. See, again, I, I, was, I met with a young man right after service, the early service this morning, and, I, and we were talking about manhood. And I said, you know, we need a men's church. We need a man's church. <laughs> if that's your idea of manhood. I, hey, I, that's cool. I wear pink. I don't care. Amen. We can meet outside the shed, and I'll show I'm, I'm fine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Listen, I, I, we, we've, I, I'm not going there. Anyway, so Adam, Adam names the animals. He's teaching him how to be a leader. Again, which is another responsibility that parents. I was meeting with a little kid in the, coming in the auditorium, out in the foyer, and his mama said, now, young men, shake his hand. And the little boy stuck his hand out to shake my hand. And then the little girl there, she said, and girls can hug the pastor. And so she just come over and gave me a hug. Little, little girl, little kid, little boy. I'm like, there they are. They're investing. God was teaching him how to be a leader. See, the power to name is the power of authority. By giving Adam the right to name the animals, God was training him to be the king or the ruler over creation, the vice regent of the earth, answerable only to God. Not only that, but God was training him also to be a lover. Think about this. As Adam began to, begins to name the animals, what is he doing? He's looking around all of creation. He sees Mr. and Mrs. Crocodile. He sees Mr. and Mrs. Alligator, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe. You know what he doesn't see? Mr. and Mrs. Adam. He doesn't, he doesn't see that. And in all of God's creative order, there is male, and hear me, female. How we've become so deceived, we can't tell the difference. It boggles my mind. But God... He looked around all of creation. There was male and there was female. Mr. Crocodile, Mrs. Crocodile. Mr. Elephant, Mr. Mrs. Elephant. And it went all the way through to creative order. But, when all, but in all of creation, as he looked around, you know what he didn't find? He didn't find a mate for him. Didn't find one. God was creating within Adam a hunger to find a life partner. That's what he was doing. Naming the animals was God's premarital counseling session. <laughs> okay. Throughout the afternoon on the sixth day of creation, Adam goes through making all of the, uh, naming all of these animals. But the Bible says this, notice what it says, but no suitable helper was found. And unless that need was met, Adam would live forever with complete total loneliness in the place of paradise. So here's the solution. Look at the second thing, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, he'd taken out a man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So again, hear me. God's answer to Adam's loneliness was simple, 
yet profound. He created Adam a partner like him and from him, yet completely different from him. Does that make sense? His answer to his loneliness was to create a suitable helper like him from him, but different than he. Adam's deep loneliness was met by the woman God created. Adam was asleep. Now hear me, this is important. Adam was asleep when this happened, which means, guys, God didn't ask us to give input on how to design the woman. He was asleep. And boy, we could run with that one. (laughs) God didn't ask his opinion about Eve. He didn't ask how to create her. He just created her. And I love how verse 23 describes Adam's response when God brings Eve to him. Notice what it says here. He says, this is now. And and, and that's unfortunate because it misses some of the excitement, okay? It misses a lot of the excitement. Uh, It means something like this, this is it. So, So imagine, and again, the Hebrew translation is is a lot more uh, dynamic than what it reads. So imagine the scene, you're under divine anesthesia, okay? God's done that surgery, he's taken that rib out. He, as he's coming to, how many's ever had a surgery and you, you remember coming, coming to? I had a procedure done a couple years ago and uh, they gave me, some, boy, if I could get that every night, it'd be great. I slept so good, whatever they were doing. <laughs> anyway, I can remember coming out of that anesthesia and, and it just, and when I finally got a little bit of bearing about me, I asked the, I asked the doctor, I said, did y'all have the Beatles going in that surgery? And he just kind of looked at me, you heard that? <laughs> so I heard the Beatles playing in the operating room, whatever was going on there. But, uh, so just imagine coming out of this anesthesia, you've been asleep, he's taken this rib out, and now all you see in front of you is God, and next to him is this beautiful, blushing creature looking at you in wide-eyed anticipation. So watch what the guy does. He's paused. I, I, I'm, again, I'm kind of inferring a little bit, but he... He's running through his mental list, trying to think, where have I, have I seen this before? Have I seen this before? And he's going through all of creation, all of the animals that he had named. Remember, none had been found. And, 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 and so he's, he can't connect her to any of the other animals. Who or what is she? She looks at him. She looks a lot like him, but, like him, but very obviously very, very different than he is. And then in his brain, he thinks, this is it. Remember, he could not find a suitable helper. He wakes up from this divine sleep, and there she is. And he's like, there she is. That's the Hebrew. That's what the Hebrew says. He's like, he opens his eyes, and there she is standing next to God. And he's like, this is it. Oh, baby, where have you been all my life? <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> but, but he's thinking it. He's thinking it. He, she's the answer. Adam begins to rejoice in God's provision for his need. And he doesn't waste, listen, he doesn't waste time looking around for a better deal. He accepts God's gift on the spot. Proverbs 5.18 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Proverbs 18.22, it reminds us, He who finds a wife finds a good, uh, finds what is good and receives favor of the Lord. I love verse 22. It says, And God brought her to the man. That's kind of interesting there. As a pastor, it's been my privilege to officiate many, many weddings in my 30 years of pastoring here. I've and I've seen all kinds of weddings. I, in fact, I've had one that was so cold, Sister Nancy, that I like to froze to death standing beside a lake doing this wedding. But it was a beautiful wedding in spite of the frostbite all over my body. <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen dads, proud fathers, walk their daughters down the aisle. Do you know that's what was going on here in our text? Think about this. God was the father of the bride. So God the father is escorting his daughter to the man. He personally brings her to Adam. There's no courtship. There's no dating. 
Here, Adam, this is your answer. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying, but I, but I will say, be, be influential in whom your children date. Teach them the importance of being equally yoked as opposed to being unequally yoked. A lot of problems that we see surface later in life can be dealt with if we are equally yoked as opposed to unequally yoked. So God the Father brings his daughter to Adam. God led her through that garden, presented her to Adam. God performed here in our text the first wedding ceremony as the minister, the father, and the witness. That's what's happening. When man sinned in the garden, think about this. When man sinned in the garden, was kicked out of Eden. You know what? The only thing God allowed to be taken out of paradise was the marriage. That tells me that marriage should be a little bit of heaven on earth. But because we live in a corrupt world and we have allowed the world to try to teach us what it is to be married, we have lost some of the excitement where he says, I, listen, I think that every husband, I don't care how long that you've been married, should look at your wife the same way Adam did and like, whoa, this is it. I'm being silly? No, I'm being serious. It's possible. We should be able to wake up and look at our husband, our wife, and think, wow, this is God's gift to me. I rejoice in my wife. I rejoice in my husband. We, it should be exciting. Why do we, I'm not going there, but the other, why do we do that? Why do we let the world try to, try to squeeze us into its mold regarding marriage? Listen, marriage has, 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 has been dismissed outright mostly in society today. We talk about, well, we'll just go cohabitate. My Bible doesn't teach me about cohabitation. It teaches me about a marriage commitment. You, listen, you got to understand, people talk about marriage. Well, I just don't love them anymore. Well, you know what? Commit to them. Mar a strong marriage is not based on love. It's based on commitment. Love is the reward for commitment. Can you imagine 36? Sheila and I have been married 36 years. There have been times where she's wanted to kill me. Okay, I'm being a little overdramatic. But we committed to each other. Yeah, some of you know that I'm not, not really. But we committed to each other. And, that, and as a result, there's a love here that's inseparable. There have been times, listen, and I'm sure most of us have times in our marriage when we feel like we could have just walked away or should have walked away. But now you look back on it and think, you know what? That was the smartest thing I never did. Because now you're reaping. Brother Fawn, how long were you guys married? 71 years. Wow. God allowed the only thing out of paradise to be taken that remains of paradise is the marriage. i got to close with this. Let's look at the design. Do you understand it is God's first gift to the human race? The marriage covenant is the very first gift that God gave to mankind. Don't you think it ought to be higher on our priority today than you know, like throwing away a pair of socks with holes in it. If your marriage has a hole in it, you know what, let's get the, let's get the mender out and let's start mending. Let's look at the design. So what is the design? Look at verse 24. For this reason, some translations say for this cause, shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So these two verses, if I bring this in for a close, reveal what marriage, again, it reveal marriage is not a human institution, not a man-made thing. We can't discard it whenever we like. This is God's plan. One man, one woman, one lifetime in marriage. That's it. Again, I understand where we are in our culture today, and there are people that, that have gone through horrible divorces, and my heart goes out. I'm giving you God's basic plan. You know what? You can start in the relationship you're in right now, and you can start building on the principles of Christ. We've got to do something. Our families are hemorrhaging in our culture today. We need to teach these things to our children. We need to teach them that, that marriage is a sacred thing. The state wants you to believe it's a, it's a legal thing. It's a piece of paper. Nonsense. It is a holy, sacred thing. And we need to teach them the value of that. Don't just go out and marry anybody because they look 
like a billboard person or whatever. The biblical marriage involves leaving. What does that mean? Leaving, well, it means breaking away. Breaking away from our parents to establish our home on our own. I'm just going to say this. I said it in early service. I'll say it here too. Mom and dad, when your children get up old enough and they get married, move out of the house, leave them alone. Keep your nose out of their affairs unless they invite you in because you will ruin their marriage. You'll ruin it. You've had your shot. Let them have theirs. One of the best things that happened to Sheila and I one year after our marri- we got married, we were on a plane going to Germany. I was transferred as a military uh, with the Air Force. We were stationed, being stationed in Germany. Me and my bride that had hardly ever been out of the state of Louisiana now boarding a plane flying to Germany, Wiesbaden, Germany, where we now will live for the next three years. We had no, obviously no family. At that point, no friends. We knew no one over there, just us. And you know what? We built a pretty good foundation. Just us. We built our unique dynamic. Doesn't work for everybody, won't work for everybody, but we built ours, and the proof is in the pudding. Leave. Let your children leave. Cleave means to be glued together. So we leave and we cleave. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. What is cleave? Cleave is a word, it's a strong word. It means to be glued to the point that it can't be torn apart. In other words, the picture is you glue it together and when you rip it, it won't rip at the place glued. It'll rip elsewhere, but it won't rip there because it's glued together. It's cleaving. That's the marriage. And then you have intimacy. What is the intimacy? The intimacy is where you become one flesh. What that means simply there is that you still have two individual people. Look, Sheila and I have been married a long time. I, I know I can, I can tell you what she thinks before she thinks it. I can tell you when she wants a piece of pie. She's looking at right there. See, she's got that look right now. She wants a piece right now. You just got to wait, sweetheart. I'm, I'm hurrying, I promise. <laughs> you can tell. How many know what I'm talking about? How many people have been married a long time? You understand. You, you know. You know their nuances. You know what makes them tick. The intimacy is, even though we're still two individuals, she still doesn't like seafood. I love seafood. but we've come together in a different plane to be one. Transparency means having a relationship in in such a manner that you can come in and and be absolutely open with that helper that God brought into your life. It's a sad day in our relationships where we can't come in to our marriage and be honest with each other. You ought to be able to walk in to your husband and say, honey, I I need to talk to you. And guys, you you ought to listen. And ladies, you ought to be willing for your husband to come in and say, hey, I I, I need to talk to you and be willing to listen. Only then, the Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. What does that mean? Partly it means they were totally open with each other. They had nothing to hide. Totally transparent with each other. There were no secrets to be kept. There there was no running, you know, delete, I'm not going there either. It's a lifetime commitment. It is a lifetime commitment. The husband and wife can relax and feel comfortable together. That's what transparency is. That's what's happening. It takes decades, 71 years. 71 years and however many more, you guys. That, that's why, and, and God has designed marriage that the longer you're married, the more it opens up. It's a mistake to think if you've been married two, three, five years, whatever, that you're going to have the same level of transparency that your parents may have after 30 years. It's not going to happen. But if you'll stay committed to each other and start building on solid principles, you're going to see that marriage blossom in ways that you can't even begin to fathom. This kind of marriage is only possible when there is an exclusive commitment to one person. I love what Henry Ford one time was asked about uh, uh, the secret to a good marriage. Henry Ford said it this way. He said, the same formula as making of a successful car. Stick to one model. (laughs) Stick to one model. A healthy marriage is the work of a lifetime. God has ordered the universe, again, to to simply be uh, that it's impossible, again, for newlyweds to have that same level of intimacy that the parents have. 
It comes through years of hard work. Again, many of us go into it, we have no idea what we're getting into. But if you'll work on that foundation, See, what's happened is we started on the foundation. We said here before God, I pledge these vows and may God join what God has joined together. Let no man put us under. We all prayed that and said that as we walked out on our, uh, on our wedding nights. So we laid a foundation upon Christ, but we didn't go to the architect to look at what to build on. So we started building on shoddy material. Dr. Seuss, well, not Dr. Seuss. He was Dr. Phil or, or Dr. Well, anyway, or Oprah or whatever. And you know what? It's not working. It's not working. So what we do, we go back and we strip it down and we start building right. God fully intends that your marriage be better next year than it is this year. He fully intends that your marriage be better next year than it is this year. Before giving up on marriage, listen, why not give God a chance? We all, we all saw the movie. Uh, what, was, what was the movie? Uh, Kirk Cameron, Fireproof. Fireproof. If you haven't, I would recommend it. Marriage totally on the rocks. She's seeing another guy getting ready to leave. And he goes back to the foundation and he starts building right. You see, there was a reason. I'm closing. Guys, come on back. There was a reason out of all the other men, guys, that your wife said I do to you. And there was a reason, ladies, out of all the other ladies, that your guy said yes to you. What happens is we get so caught up in life that we miss it. Do you know Revelation gives you a three-step, and I'm just going to give it to you, and I'm going to hush. Three things. There was a church that left her first love. Remember? And God counseled them to do three things. Number one, he said, remember. So what does that mean? It means if your marriage is, is in a tight spot now, maybe, maybe it's not hurting. Maybe you're not on the rocks. Maybe your marriage is just kind of in the doldrums. He said, remember. So <coughs> remember little patter, little pitter-patter that your wife used to give to you when you saw her. You know, for me, I still remember the day our eyes crossed. I remember that like it happened yesterday. He said, remember that. Remember how that phone call, you couldn't wait to talk to your special person, that husband, that wife. They did something to you. He said, remember that. Remember the feeling of just being able to be there with her, with him, going on a date. Just, you know, you didn't do anything special. You didn't have to spend tons of money. You just went to McDonald's. Or you went to the park. You sat out beside the lake and you just talked. You shared dreams and visions. He said, remember what that was like. And then the second thing he said, he said, repent. What does that mean? It means repent for not keeping it the way it was. So why do we think when we get a ring on the finger that we have to stop paying attention to that special person in our life? He said, repent that you allow life to happen to the point where you don't get the same fluttering that you used to have. And then he gave this command. He said, and go back and do the first works. What does it mean? It means you go back and you do what you used to do. You don't bring me flowers anymore. Well, you know what? Go back and give her flowers. Leave a note. Whatever those special things that you used to do that you've quit doing, go back and do those. Let them know. Let him, let her know. That out of all the other people on the planet, I still choose you. See, you're not going to have a good, strong family if your marriage is not good and strong. And so we start there. A little boy sat through a Sunday school class, and he learned about Jesus when Jesus went to the wedding of Cana. And he turned, remember, and he turned the water into wine. After, after church, the dad asked the little boy, he said, well, son, what did you learn in Sunday school today? He said, well, Dad, we learned, about, we, we learned about Jesus going to the wedding. He said, well, what was the lesson? He said, well, Daddy, the lesson is this. If you're having a wedding, make sure Jesus is there. I would say that's a pretty good lesson right there. If you're going to have a marriage, make sure Jesus is a part of it. You can choose today, I'm closing, I promise. You can choose to build 
your family on all the soap opera stuff that goes on in our culture. Or you can say, you know what, as for me and my house, we're going to build on a different foundation. We're going to build, and Jesus even said this. He said, you know, if you build a house on the sand, rain will come, storms will come. He said, if you built on the sand, he said, it'll be not flat. But if you build on a solid foundation, the wind will blow, it will beat against you, but the house will stand strong. In your marriage, listen, there have been times, and I don't have time today to share, but you've heard me share stories. Sheila and I, 1994, probably the worst year we ever were married, had had a real difficult year. Came very close to dissolving our marriage. I don't have time to tell you the story. I've been very honest with that before. I was pastoring here. We were here. Real tough time. A lot of stuff was going on at that time. But we made a commitment to him on this. And here I am today. Here we are. Again, if the Lord tarries 37 years later. I'm telling you, if you'll build on something that will stand, it'll stand the test. Whatever the wind blows, whatever comes your way, if you'll build on the foundation, it will stand good. Won't you stand with me this morning? Listen, I know we're, again, as I said this morning, not everybody will find that this is applicable to them, but you need to hear the words. If you ever intend on getting married, you need to hear this. Because the world's going to try to tell you how marriage should be. Well, they don't, they don't know. Wasn't their idea. He has an idea. And it, his word stands. Heaven and earth will pass. But his word will not. I'm just going to close this way. We did it last week. And again, what a powerful move in the altar. I'm going to close it like this. Same thing, similar. If you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, we need a miracle. And, and, and what I'm going to say, it doesn't indicate that you have... You have issues in your marriage. But if you recognize that you become lazy in your marriage, again, remember, repent, and redo. If you've recognized that you've allowed, guys, we get busy, okay? We allow things to, in the periphery, to, be, to occupy us. And if we're not paying special attention to that, that remember, remember, your wife is God's answer to your loneliness, And if we're not paying attention to her, you're you're not being the man that God's called you to be. Maybe you're here today and say, you know what, Pastor, I need a marriage checkup. You know, there's some strain, there's there's some struggles, there's some rough spots. I want to build my marriage God's way. I want to build on that foundation. If you're here, maybe you're young, maybe, maybe, maybe you're here and say, you know what, I want to, one day I want to get married, and I want to get married. I, w- I want to build my life and my family upon the principles of Christ. When we sing here in a moment, I want you to just come down and say, Lord, I give it to you. Maybe you're at that place. Maybe, maybe you've already received divorce papers, and you're standing here today and say, Pastor, I don't even know what to do. You know what? Go ahead and just commit yourself to him. Say, God, you can have it. You can take it. Take the wheel. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm just going to give it to you. Work on me. I said it last week, and I'll say it again. Husbands, you may need to sit down with your wives, and you may need to apologize. How many know that's still good? That's still appropriate. You may need to tell them, hey, I'm sorry. I haven't been the husband that I need to. I've not been attentive to you. Wife, maybe you need to sit down with your husband and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I've not let you have been the leader that God created you to be. That's transparency. When do we stop doing that? Why do we stop doing that? If we offend our our best friend, we go to them to try to make it right. Why don't we do that to the one who's the answer to our prayer? If you're here this morning, say, you know what, Pastor? I want God to do, I'm just going to close it like this because I don't want any inference whatsoever. If you're here today, say, Pastor, I want God to do a work in in my marriage. Whatever that means to you. Maybe God wants, maybe you want it strengthened. Maybe you want God to do something. But when we sing, would you just come and would you just give it to the Lord? And I would encourage you, if your wife or your husband's here, come stand with them together. Just bring them down. Go ahead and sing. And say, if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I want God to do something for me today. Rest is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, with everything around me shaking. I've never 
If you would come, if you are able to, would you come and would you stand with some of these here this morning? Come up just a bit. I want to get some of our older couples here today. Would you come and stand with these and pray if you're able to today? I want to make sure that we cover everyone here with prayer. Listen, we want God to do something in our families. God, let revival begin with us. If you're here today and God's laid on your heart to come pray with somebody, I want you to come. Listen, it starts here with the marriage. We build a solid marriage. Heal the marriage, you heal the family. You heal the family, you heal the church. You heal the church, you change the world. It starts here. He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't fail.
what's going on but I promise you that Christ is the firm foundation and if you'll start building on that you'll find something I, I, I wasn't going to do this I am going to do this bring, bring Sheila here for me please I promise it won't be a second if you want to sit down just for a minute and I'm going to some of you are like what in the world listen this this is my bride of, is it a long time, huh? <laughs> 36 and a half years. Met February, dated March, engaged April, married September. This is what commitment does later on in life. If I had the magic wand, I would wave it over my wife for her to be whole. Because I miss my helper. But the depth of love that God has placed in us because we committed to each other is beyond what I can describe this morning. She had her stroke in 2012. And please, I'm not using her as to try. I, I, I just want you to understand. I've had people that, have, and it's really upset me. I'm not here, but I've had people down through the years that said, you stayed. I've even had some would say these boneheaded things like, I can't believe you stayed. This is her. I take care of her every day. I get her up, get her dressed. What do I call it, sweetheart? Getting her fed and watered. <laughs> Humor is our thing, okay? That's our life every day since 2012. And people say, I can't, you stay. And my answer to them is, why would I not? On September the 5th, 1986, I made a vow before God to this woman here that in sickness and in health, I would be with her till death do us part. And I've committed to that. Has it been easy? Absolutely not. Would I prefer a different pathway? Absolutely. But this is the path that God has for us and we're walking it with joy and with complete love and devotion to each other. How are we able to do this? If you'll commit to that partner that God brought to you as an answer to your loneliness, whether you're male or female, then down the road, God forbid, but down the road you'll find the reward of love. I love this lady here. She drives me absolutely nuts, right? <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm, messing, I'm messing with you. This, again, this is our coping. I love this lady. I would marry her all over again. I would do it again. Would you do it again with me? Yes. <laughs> I'd do it again. 
because we've committed to each other, we have a love that overcomes every challenge that life has thrown. And if you'll start there, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're dealing with, if you'll commit to each other and say, you know what, it's rocky right now and it's rough right now, but we're going to commit to each other and we're going to put it in God's hands and we're going to work on it. I promise you the fruit of that will be a love that you can't even, you won't find it anywhere else, I promise. It's in the wife of your youth. Won't you stand as we dismiss? Father, today I thank you for the gift of marriage. I pray for our, our, our families here today. I pray for our marriages, husbands and wives. I know, I know there are those here that are widows and widowers, some that have had horrible relationships, and I pray for them, Father. I pray for them. I pray, God, that you would, again, help us to understand that you have the right way, that your word is true and everlasting. I pray this morning the hearts of husbands would be turned to the wives and the hearts of wives would be turned to the husbands. Lord, that you would build a firm, solid foundation upon marriage the way you intended it to be so that as we talk next week about parenting, Lord, we can build on something that is solid and that is eternal. Father, I bless our families today. I bless our husbands and our wives and our marriages. I pray, Father, as we go out today, Lord, may we walk out determined to have that transparency with each other. Lord, that openness and that safe place with each other. And let us not be ashamed. Go with us today. Give us a great day. May we walk in your abundant blessings all the days of this week. Should you tarry, bring us again ready to receive your word. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you. Speaks a better word. Speaks a better word. Sing it. It's singing.